Time once again for Second Helping, the podcast of choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network, alongside my great friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Beard, longtime college football analyst for First Coast News in Jacksonville, Florida, also a voter for the most prestigious individual honor in college athletics, the Heisman Trophy. And Brent, as we sit here on a Thursday in early May, we have 2023 spring football drills in the Southeastern Conference officially behind us. We've got the transfer portal window for the latest couple of weeks that you're able to go in there if you're a student athlete sealed tight at this point but on the not too distant horizon we have sec spring meetings in destin florida and amazingly we also got this week the schedule for 2024-25 for the expanded playoff which is fascinating uh and uh trev with it being the merry month of may that means by the end of the month we'll have a preseason magazine or two in our hands uh, and oh, that countdown! That countdown is, is officially on count, for Brent Beard. Countdown has has begun, and uh, yesterday the uh, SEC sent out credential requests for uh, SEC Media Days mm-hmm. in Nashville. So, uh, it, look, that's the that's kind of the great thing about college football is you end one thing and you quickly begin another. And the draft is behind us, too, affecting a, a bunch of SEC schools. So, uh, Trav, May, May has become a lot busier than we ever thought it would be, hadn't it? Yeah, throngs of media types piled into Nashville, Tennessee for a stretch. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong, That's right, right, Brent? Absolutely. You know, piled into Tootsies and other establishments <laughs> there uh, in the music city should be a good time coming up here in just a couple months. Now, as we get ready for the 2023 college football season, what we're going to do today is primarily look back upon spring practice 2023 for each of the member schools of the Southeastern conference. We won't include Texas and Oklahoma in this just yet, I guess, Brent, we'll stick with the, uh, the 14 that we're used to, but we'll do it alphabetically and we'll start with the Alabama Crimson Tide. And what I want to ask you, Brent Beard, for each of these teams, primary concern for each of these clubs coming out of spring practice. We'll start with Alabama. It seems pretty obvious for the Crimson Tide, especially when you consider some of the major news that Alabama got at a specific position that all eyes are seemingly always on. Oh yeah, absolutely. The, um, I, I can sum up Alabama pretty quickly in that the major concern, obviously, would be at quarterback. They've got talented guys, but they haven't seen them do a whole lot in Alabama uniform. Even Jalen Milrow's time has been limited, but Tyler Buckner comes over from Notre Dame, uh, which is fascinating. I, I can kind of see now a Tyler Buckner, Jalen Milrow, and Ty Simpson vying for the job with Eli Holstein and uh, Dylan Lonigan uh, being able to uh, probably redshirt, but they'll get their four games in. So that's the major concern uh, or the thing that people are most interested about. But look, there are some good things. I think it's very obvious from uh, 
Uh, they've got great young talent, Justin Haynes, tailback, and Caleb Downs, safety. And then the thing you hear consistently is the difference uh, that Tommy Reese has made on the offense with attention to detail. The same thing, Trav, on defense. Uh, the defense missing few assignments in the spring game, putting more pressure on the quarterback, and being more physical and dominating that line of scrimmage is kind of what we've heard during the offseason. So, uh, uh, the, but, but Trev, the, the quarterback questions kind of overshadow everything else right now. They do. I mean, it's one of the most coveted designations in all of sports, starting quarterback at Alabama. And so I, I think some people were maybe a little bit surprised that there wasn't this sort of immediate exodus or exit by a player or two uh, with the transfer portal window closing uh, a week or so after Alabama completed spring practice and really just a couple of days after Buckner made his decision public. But it is one of those jobs in sports that's worth fighting for. I mean, it, it just is. So if you're Jalen Milrow and you're Ty Simpson, uh, and the competition continues on, and you certainly expect that to be the case because Nick Saban isn't the type really to look at any player at any position and say, yeah, come in, you're a, you're an auto starter, you're a default starter. Uh, it's still a competition. There's still the possibility, I agree with you, uh, for any of three candidates to really emerge. I think there is urgency in play because you got Texas coming to Tuscaloosa <laughs> In week two, and Texas is very confident in its quarterback situation <laughs> yes. and its offense in general looking ahead to that matchup. So uh, there are certainly things that need to happen during the course of uh, fall camp and how you distribute reps among three candidates is going to be interesting to watch play out. It's not easy with two. If you got three, uh, the challenge becomes obviously greater. But I agree with you, too. There's other areas of this football team that uh, you're still waiting on. I, I did think, like you did, that there were positives uh, with the physicality that we saw from Alabama in its spring game. I'll tell you another thing. Uh, not many penalties was a good thing. And, yes. and I know in spring yes. games, they're not called as tightly as games will be in the in the fall. But you know, that was another area with an emphasis on defense that Alabama really needed to clean some things up. And it looked like it had taken a pretty good step in that direction. Let's talk about the Arkansas Razorbacks post-spring practice 2023. Where do you start there, Brent, with the list of concerns for Sam Pittman's latest team? Pittman said the thing that he wanted to do more than anything else is for them to be more physical in the line of scrimmage. Um, he thinks that has happened. Now, they lost some really good players, Bumper Poole and Drew Sanders, and Jalen Kentlon on the defensive end, Jaden Hasselwood, uh, I don't think materialized like they thought he would, uh, having to replace um, uh, also your coordinators, Mary Odom and Kendall Bryles, uh, frankly. Uh, K.J. Jefferson is back. Rocket Sanders uh, is also back, running back. Two huge returnees for them. Uh, they've got a couple of receiver transfers they like uh, who have come in. Andrew Armstrong from Texas A&M Commerce and Isaac Tislaw, uh, who is from Division II Hillsdale College. Uh, and you pointed this out the other day. 
and this will help him in the NFL and also in the media. I really do wonder how Jefferson Trav lining up more under center is going to affect him. Now, he'll probably still do some RPO stuff, but I think that's going to be fascinating. Obviously, a real dual threat. He's healthy, ready to go. Um, the schedule last year really beat Arkansas down uh, as it went on. And by the way, one of their cornerbacks, Quincy McDo, uh, was hospitalized Monday, car accident, uh, non life threatening injuries. He is recovering. Certainly, our best and prayers go out uh, to him. Uh, he is the defensive back, was a wide receiver uh, at the time. So, I think hopefully, Travis may be an easier schedule, more physicality at the point of attack uh, by Pittman, and I think he'll certainly get that. Uh, and uh, that that backfield is a real plus. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what um, KJ Jefferson does again uh, under center for these hogs. Yeah, I think that that approach also could help protect KJ Jefferson yeah. because he has really taken a pounding each of the last two seasons. He had to miss a couple of starts, uh, as we know, in 2022. So. I think part of that plan may have to do with st- sustainability mm-hmm. in terms of his availability uh, for 2023. And as we did talk about previously, it's also beneficial to him in the big picture as far as his development for where he certainly wants to go post-Arkansas. I go back to your initial statement. My biggest concern is right there in the middle of that defense with Drew Sanders and Bumper Pool both moving on to the National Football League. Um uh, that's that's where I start uh, the defensive side of the ball, really, I guess you could say, because you've also got a coordinator change there uh, to go along with the offensive side. So that's where I would look primarily for this Arkansas team as we enter the summer months. What about the Auburn Tigers? Is it just is it as easy as saying the passing game in general, Brent, or where do you go with that one? for uh, Hugh Freeze in his first year on the Plains. Auburn beat rise would tell you even maybe even as important as the passing game is, uh, they had to do something with their line of scrimmage. Uh, Basically, Gus Malzahn and Brian Harson did not recruit offensive linemen, uh, and that that was a real problem for them. I give uh, Hugh Freeze a lot of credit. That's something that they went out and they dealt with but obviously the quarterback situation is going to get all the attention. Uh, T.J. Finley now is transferring out. Was it LSU and Auburn? Uh, we're not sure where he's going to go uh, at this point either. Casey Thompson, who was in Nebraska, has been mentioned uh, with Auburn also. I think they'll be fine, too, uh, at running back. Jarquez Hunter, who Travis and I both like a lot. And they've got to transfer Brian Batty, who is from USF, South Florida. And I understand Hugh Freeze let Philip Montgomery, the offense coordinator, call the plays. Now, that's a spring. Will he do that in the fall? So, for uh, I think, obviously, uh, you got to find a quarterback. I still think he will be okay uh, with what he's got. These Robbie Ashford and Holden Grinner are not superstars. 
but at the same time, we'll see who else they had in that room. Uh, but, but Trav, to me, uh, it's still uh, it, this is still a line of scrimmage league, and I, I don't care what Hugh does with the offense. If you can't open holes for the running backs and block for whoever the quarterback is going to be, uh, uh, it's going to be a long year. Yeah, Hugh has always been good offensively with some smoke and mirror stuff. Yes. He's, he's used to working at a deficit, whether it was Ole Miss, whether it was Liberty, uh, in some instances anyway, especially when he went out of conference uh, at Liberty. Uh, so he, he's, he understands workarounds when it comes to maybe not having the horses mm-hmm. as much in some spots, but I think that's certainly going to be a challenge for him. Uh, in year one there at Auburn. Let's go over to the Eastern Division for our next three schools, our next three teams. The University of Florida, another place where it's almost a broken record when you talk about quarterback concerns. Uh, But I think, as we've talked about here previously, not just in terms of personnel uh, improving on the defensive side, getting back to that Florida standard, just a level of confidence and sort of that edge Yes. that the great Florida defense always played with, almost teetering across the line at, at times, uh, with some of Urban's teams especially. Uh, but defensively, can Auburn get, uh, can Florida get back to that, again, that standard that we grew accustomed to seeing for so many years? I think that's the biggest question for them right now, even maybe above the quarterbacks. I mean, I, I'm not b- b- belittling the quarterback, situation that's extremely important but i do think with austin armstrong that they really believe they've got a guy uh who can take what they've got and make it better uh and and be able to as we love to say coach them up uh armstrong can be very creative uh in this situation so i i would almost say uh, the quarterback and the defense or or one in one a uh, at this point, obviously, uh, they're they're uh, they're going with Graham Mertz and Jack Miller. Max Brown is a also playing baseball. I'm not sure how much time that he will see, but I think this is this is Mertz team. Uh, and and look, what we're going to see from them is um, basically a good running game, and they've got two of the better backs and ETN Montreal Johnson in the league. Uh, they think their offensive line will be pretty good by the time that they get the fall. And if Merch can just make um, normal plays that, that they didn't have last year, that's going to make a difference. The wide receivers uh, are, are really nothing special. They're pretty average. Uh, so they're, they need someone to come through uh, in these situations, too. They did get a safety, R.J. Moten, uh, from the transfer portal, uh, too, he, he, uh, they think he's going to be a help coming from, uh, Michigan. So, and, and Florida has been rumored a little bit with some other guys, but I think they're going with what they got. I think we know who they are. Um, and, and, and Trav, the, the thing with them is, uh, progress. Can they go from six wins, uh, to seven or eight this year, and begin to maybe find a quarterback for um, a couple of years who can help them. They're doing well, uh, really, on the recruiting trail. In the future, the future looks much brighter for Florida right now than the present. 
Mass departures for Billy Napier's team following his first season. Over two dozen, and most recently, that departure, that transfer portal entry of Xavier Henderson. Did did that one maybe surprise you the most of of what we've seen from from these guys that have, have left the program under Napier in year one? Trav, he was he was basically their best receiver, uh, and, and I, I was at the spring game. Henderson bailed the quarterbacks out multiple times with really good catches on bad throws. So uh, there, there's absolutely no doubt about that. That 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 really uh, really hurt them, and they're going to need. And, and by the way, Billy Gonzalez is back coaching the receivers. Mm-hmm. That's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Boy, yeah, welcome back, Billy. Yeah, really. Point, point, we'll take him, though, Trav. Henderson's a real loss. Ricky Pearsall, and we talked about this before. I think Henderson, too. I think those two guys are really good number twos. Yes. I'm not sure either is a true high-level number one in the Southeastern Conference. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, for what Florida had, uh, it would seem to be a pretty significant blow with Henderson moving on now from the Florida program. Let's talk about those George Bulldogs back-to-back defending national champions of Kirby Smart. Another team in the Southeastern Conference going through change at the quarterback position. You know, my concern for Georgia might be the same as it was the last two seasons in which it won a national championship anyway, and that's more so on the back end of that defense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Even though, I mean, they've got six returning on offense. They've got seven coming back on defense, but your, your points well taken. And even in the, even in the spring game, and, and we know it's divided up, we understand that. Uh, but still, uh, that, that secondary can, was torched last year at times, particularly in the SEC championship game. Now they Ohio got, state. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and they've got the players to, to compensate for some of that. Uh, but at some point, if your offense is struggling, someone's going to take advantage of it. Now, they've got on defense, Mikhail Williams, uh, obviously they like his Ed Rusher, and linebackers, uh, Jamon Dumas-Johnson, uh, Small Munden, uh, Malachi Starks. Uh, there's certainly talent there, and they will be fine. Um, and I think since minute being gone, he kind of set the table – uh, for Carson Beck uh, as a guy who waited his time uh, and took over the offense. Mike Bobo uh, will be obviously, well, I want to say new, but we know he's not in a lot of ways. Um, but I think Carson Beck will be fine with Brock Vandergriff said he's certainly staying. I still think the, the biggest plus for Georgia is Dom Lovett, the Missouri transfer who was something else in the in the spring game? Easy schedule. I think they're uh, I think they're slam dunk for Atlanta. But Travis, to your point, uh, that that back part of the defense that's going to be solidified uh, before they're talking about having three in a row. Yeah, and understanding opponents pretty much had to go against that area, the Georgia defense, because running the football just wasn't going to happen. And if anything can help the back end, uh, it's what Georgia returns in that front seven and what it should be able to do 
to affect opposing quarterbacks via the pass rush. Let's talk about the Kentucky Wildcats. Not a year for offensive line play up in Lexington in 2022. And I guess until we see improvement in that area, an area in which Kentucky finished 13th in the SEC in rushing offense a year ago, Kentucky was the only SEC team in 2022 not to hit double-digit rushing touchdowns and also gave up a league high in sacks. Is is that the area you're focused on, Brent, when it comes to the Wildcats, or is there somewhere else that you might be looking as well? No, they're not going to be any better until they fix their offensive line. And they had a transfer this week, uh, David Woolbaugh, uh, is uh, entered the transfer portal. Now they've had a couple of transfers in uh, Marcus Cox and Cortland Ford, who are from NIU and USC. Uh, so that I think will probably help them. I'm very curious about Devin Leary and the NC State transfer and how we he will do. And I think it really helps them that Liam Cohen is coming back from the NFL, who was their OC a couple of seasons ago uh, before going to the NFL. Uh, but, but Trev, aren't we almost every year at this point with this team that, that we're looking at them? They're, they're, I mean, the, the bottom is maybe six wins, and the ceiling – maybe uh, seven or eight, something like that, which is certainly respectable. We both really like Mark Stoops and what he has done, but there is absolutely no doubt where that where that offensive line takes them this year would, would determine their record. Yeah, and the second time in three or four years, Kentucky also picks up Alabama from the West yeah, on its schedule, right. so no favors in that regard, even though that game will be played in November in Lexington, uh, not easy for uh, the Wildcats in in that regard either. Uh, Let's talk LSU going back to the SEC West. Tigers wrapped up their spring with, as you would expect, impressive play from the quarterback position. Boy, when you talk about Jaden Daniels and Garrett Nussmeyer, it's a very nice one-two punch. I know there's been some concern about maybe Nussmeyer staying or leaving, uh, and boy, you talk about a confident dude right now, Brian Kelly on the, yeah. on the talking, talking <laughs> circuit, uh, feeling good about himself as yeah. he should. And, um, you know, beating Alabama in and of itself did wonders for, for Kelly and LSU. But, you know, we talk about schedule. Uh, I would say that's a big concern because you open against a anticipated to be very good Florida state team. And what is essentially a road game in Orlando? I know LSU people are going to travel great down to down to to Orlando, though. But what about it? What area of this team are, are you thinking running back? You thinking defense? Uh, maybe more so on the back end. Where are you looking for the uh, the Tigers coming out of spring ball? I tell you what, it's not easy to find a a bunch of real concerns about this team. I, I mean, uh, Trev, how many how many teams in the SEC? Would love to have Garrett Nussmeyer as her starter right now. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that'd take long for that to happen. Um, and then you look at Harold Perkins, Mason Smith is back. Who Travis and I talked about on a previous podcast. Uh, who is uh, frankly incredible. Noah Kane really picked it up. The Penn State transfer running back. 
They were very pleased with him. They've got a wide out Kieran Lacey who transferred from Louisiana, uh, along with Malik Neighbors, uh, who can be good when his attitude is right. Uh, also, uh, Emory Jones, if he can get out of academic purgatory, has proven to be very effective. Uh, they love their tight ends, and Mason Taylor is going to be a uh, a good one uh, all the way around. No first-rounders for LSU since 2018. That that will uh, stop real uh, real quick. But but and and the point you made in the previous podcast was a really good one. People are going crazy over this team, and I get that with the talent. But they still found a way to, to lose multiple games uh, last year too. Uh, so uh, going to be a really good uh, defensive line. I, I, I tell you, Trav, uh, the um, uh, this defense, frankly, uh, that front seven uh, is going to be pretty good. Uh, maybe at the point of being one of the best in the league. And the LSU beat writers uh, have told us that even with the losing the guys they've lost in the secondary, unbelievably, they could be better. So maybe my question for this is, Travis, is can once the hype train begins, how, yeah. how will they how will they deal with being the favorite very likely in the West? Yeah, it sounds like Brian Kelly is embracing that very real possibility right now. So uh, I don't think it's something they're going to back away from. And yeah, again, um, you know, it's it, it was an impressive year one for Brian Kelly. It also included a 15 point road loss to a five and seven Texas A&M team in late November. It included having 50 hung on them by the Georgia Bulldogs in Atlanta. Uh, really the top two teams in the East smoked LSU in 2022. Mm-hmm. When you think about Tennessee and the number it did on the Tigers in Baton Rouge. So uh, this team, and and I've been as guilty as anyone. I, if anything, have always overvalued LSU's roster. Yeah. I, I, I've always emphasized with LSU in years in which and folks are sort of underselling LSU. I, I go back to the roster and I say, well, right. You, you, you need to consider that. That being said, I do worry that there might be some Texas A&M in 2022 yeah. uh, on this LSU team if things don't break uh, exactly right uh, in 2023. We'll see about that. Hey, uh, let's talk about Ole Miss as we move forward here. Uh, the Rebels come out of spring practice with continued reason for optimism on the offensive side of the ball. But as we talked about with Pete Golding arriving in Oxford as the new defensive coordinator, boy, a lot of holes to work through on the defensive side. And I see where the Rebels here recently uh, were victimized by the transfer portal where a defensive lineman was concerned. Yeah, uh, and they're still battling uh, a lot lot of those situations, too. Um, So uh, this this team is a mixed bag. In a lot of ways, I mean, the quarterback is yet to be determined. Walker Howard won't start. He's too young. Jackson Dart's the encumbered. I, I think he probably will because Spencer Sanders, what we understand now, uh, is dealing with a shoulder injury, 
that he, he got at Oklahoma State, uh, which is a problem, but I think all three of them will be, uh, uh, will be fine before it's over. Uh, but my main concern with this, you, you, we, all, we both know how good they will be uh, offensively, but the reality is, talked to uh, uh, a friend in the Ole Miss media who said um, he thinks Pete Golding will help them. But, Trav, the reality is they don't have any players is what he told me. Uh, now, they've got some transfers in. Monty Montgomery, who's a linebacker from Louisville. Zamari Walton, who's a cornerback from Georgia Tech. And John Saunders, who's a safety from Miami of Ohio. But the eight eight on offense, five on defense. So, Trev, is this another? Uh, we got to win every game, uh, forty-two to forty year for Lane and the Rebels. Yeah, I mean, you look at every level really of the skill positions for Ole Miss on offense, and you like it, especially with Michael Trigg coming back from injury yes. at the tight end position. Quinshawn Judkins back as a sophomore, following a massive freshman campaign. Uh, at the running back position, quarterback you feel good about. Had some departures at the wide receiver position that you're going to be looking to rebound from. Jonathan Mingo, a second-round pick. Uh, the Carolina Panthers going to team up with Bryce Young in the NFC South moving forward. But, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. It's going to take all of Lane's imagination and ability to get personnel groupings together that cause mismatches and points in general for Ole Miss in 2023. What about Mississippi State? Maybe sticking on the offensive side of the ball there, obviously following the passing of Mike Leach, the big change, uh, not only in terms of the head coaching spot, but how that's going to impact what Mississippi State does and looks like on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think that's going to be fascinating. I mean, we know with Zach Arnett, the former defensive coordinator, uh, that they will be good uh, defensively. But but the thing I want to see is how Kevin Barbe, the offensive coordinator, um, is going to uh, uh, mix with what he's got. Tula Griffin uh, had a really good spring. They think he could be uh, uh, rather exciting. But, but Trav, will, will you and I be able to uh, – uh, to believe our eyes when these running backs are, are running the ball more than they are uh, receiving the ball. <laughs> yeah, that'll still take a minute to get used to, won't it? Uh, and maybe even seeing Will Rogers at quarterback in something other than air raid concepts and you know, the sort of misnomer about Mike Leach offenses were that they were tempo heavy and they really weren't, you know, they weren't big on as much tempo as you might think now spreading the field. And as you alluded to getting backs more involved in the passing game than running the football, no doubt about it. So just the evolution of Will Rogers at the quarterback position, you see a guy with that much experience that much production and you just sort of think, ah, oh, he'll be fine regardless. Well, there have been instances where, again, as we talked about previously, where there's been pretty massive shifts in approach that haven't translated so well for quarterbacks, veteran quarterbacks, 
uh, that have been a part of the shifting landscape on that side of the football. What about the Missouri Tigers, Brent? There were some solid strides made by Eli Drinkwitz's team on the defensive side, especially in comparison to 2021, had to improve. There wasn't really any place to go. What about the Tigers coming out of spring practice? It seems like a couple months ago that they wrapped up, and, well, that's because it was a couple of months ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> that Missouri wrapped up spring practice back in March. Um, the run game for Missouri, I kind of look at uh, because I think that they made some nice strides uh, at the quarterback position. You lose Dom Lovett to Georgia uh, when it comes to your your receiving core. That's obviously a major concern. You do return some young talent there. Uh, but I think obviously you'd like to be able to support Brady Cook yeah. even better than you were able to with the run game a year ago. Yeah, agreed. And I think Cook, when he's healthy, is a pretty good uh, uh, player, too. I, I think my big question for them is, can they continue the defensive improvement that they've gotten with Blake Baker, uh, who is in his second season? Uh, I mean, they like a lot of these guys who they've got, and it's Rank Straw, Chris Abrams drain uh, on defense. Um, uh, th- th- those guys were at cornerback. Tristan Newson, who had a pretty solid spring. They've got some transfers in. I think they're they're a little more stable there. And I'm not saying he's under any pressure necessarily. I mean, if you're coaching the SEC, you're always under pressure uh, at this point. But I believe, Trav, this is like year four for Eli Drinkwith. And I like Drinkwith. I think he's refreshing. He'll tell you what's on his mind. Um, they, they did in spring way early, frankly. Uh, and coaches like to do that sometimes. Uh, but the reality is, they don't, don't they need a seven and five or eight and four, Trav, at least just to get um, some of the critics maybe off of the uh, – off drink with, and and I think show some real promise that would help them because right now, uh, yeah, I mean, let's be honest, this this second and third spot in the East, um, uh, although it may very well go to Tennessee or, or South Carolina, that's still a bit up for grabs, isn't it? It is, and I would agree with that sentiment, except for the fact that Missouri – gave Eli a raise and an extension before the end of last season. So I don't know where that came from. I don't know if there was (laughs) one job opening out there that actually contacted Missouri in relation to Eli, but Hey, good for him. Or it was just good agenting. You know, maybe that was part of it, but on paper, Eli looks to be in good shape. I agree with you though, as far as how the program is perceived, Right now, it's one that is sort of in neutral, not really moving forward, not really moving backward. And sometimes that can be as bad or worse than Mm -hmm. uh, having a defined direction because you're not exactly sure which way you want to go or where you are going. Um, I go back to offense. I mean, 2021, yeah, Tyler Beatty goes for 1,600 rushing yards. And then in 2022, Cody Schrader, a great story. 744 rushing yards is your leading rusher. Full yard per carry fewer uh, for the Missouri 
uh, run game on attempts in 2022 compared to 2021. Obviously, Beatty had that big playability, something Missouri didn't really have at the running back position a year later. As we continue to move through the Southeastern Conference here, post-spring drills, let's talk about the South Carolina Gamecocks. Brent, what about what about Shane Beamer's team heading into year three? I, in some ways, I almost feel like Beamer's his own worst enemy yeah. because he's done so many positive things in just a couple of years, including those wins over Tennessee and Clemson to cap the regular season a year ago that uh, has he has he expedited expectations maybe for that fan base a little too quickly? Probably. But the reality is when you win in November, the last two years, uh, that's what happens. Uh, and that's what makes it um, important. I still think they need more playmakers on offense. They do like Juice Wells. Uh, and you commented before, uh, Trey Knox coming over from Arkansas is a nice pickup for them. Will Travis, will Spencer Rattler continue the improvement train uh, that he that he was able to do at the toward the end of the year last year, or or he regress a little bit. I'm 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 concerned about that. I mean, they look great against Tennessee and Clemson. They look like they were not even competitive against Missouri and Florida. That was a problem. They have hired Tulane's Trevian Robinson as their defensive line coach. Uh, but they had a real blow in the spring game. They've lost one of their starting left tackles, Jalen Nichols, for quite a bit of time. Uh, not sure when he is going to be coming back, uh, and that that's a problem. So, but look, they're recruiting well. That fan base fan base is fired up. They had over fifty thousand at the uh, spring game. Uh, the funny thing was uh, the uh, Clemson announced 50,000, and then the South Carolina game started that night, and they, of course, they announced 51,000. <laughs> so, so the competition get, continues regardless what it is. But, uh, I mean, Beamer's got people talking about him. They are on uh, – um, I, I think a real uh, uptick at this point. Uh, but, Trav, my question, and, and we just don't know, is uh, can this continue this year or do they take a step back? Speaking of trying to sustain success following a magical year two under Josh Heupel, the Tennessee Vols will look to do exactly that after winning the Orange Bowl over Clemson to cap the 2022 season. Changes, obviously, at quarterback, wide receiver, offensive tackle, and a defense that Tennessee really won games in spite of, uh, especially in situational opportunities for that Tennessee defense a year ago, Brent. They've got seven coming back on offense, six on defense, what you said is going to determine uh, the season. Frankly, will they will they be better on defense? I mean, they were they were really good on first and second down defensively, um, and then um, on third down they were the worst team in the league and one of the worst teams in America 
allowing 52% conversion rank. Now, Josh Heupel on the um, uh, alumni booster trail said we're not going to play good defense. We're going to play elite defense. Well, I'm not sure about that. Tim Banks, uh, they like. Uh, he, they, they were a little bit more aggressive, trying to bring more pressure. Uh, they've got to replace Byron Young. They do like Aaron Beasley. Uh, they've got a, a potential breakout guy in Tyler Barron at this point. I, look, uh, Trav, you and I both know with high pull, they will be fine uh, offensively with Joe Milton. A uh, little concerned about the offensive line, uh, but I think they'll be okay there too. Uh, but the thing with me is their defense will determine how far that they go. Uh, and and again, uh, they started out kind of like LSU. They started out like a house on fire, had some problems as the season went on, uh, but, but still – uh, Apple's got them going. Excitement is there, uh, but it, it it will be determined by the defense how far they go. Yeah, it still wasn't a roster last year that was built for the long haul. And no. we talk about that a lot in relation to the elite teams in the league. What separates Alabama, Georgia in re- recent years, mm-hmm. really for a decade plus now, has been really one through 85. Yes. How they've been built and how they can weather the long season and get to the finish line still uh, performing at a high level. And as, as you got into November, uh, some of those cracks started to show for Tennessee. And then obviously the injury to Hendon Hooker was, was big in that South Carolina game, but, but it wasn't even as much the injury to Hendon Hooker in that game as it was just an atrocious defensive performance in Columbia. So yeah, you, you, you start with the roster depth, the quality of the roster uh, from a depth perspective. Once you get past Tennessee's first 20 to 25 players, are they going to continue to upgrade there via recruiting and player development? You know, defensively, I look at the back end and I still want to see a guy that I know, whether it's corner safety, sub package role, is elite when are we going to start seeing elite guys on the back end of that Tennessee defense? So some things to consider for the balls in year three under Josh Heupel. What about the Texas A&M Aggies? Boy, offensively, uh, you like a lot about what you see from that team really across the board. I guess running back with my guy Devin A-Chain moving on to the Miami Dolphins of the National Football League. I might worry a little bit about that area. Uh, and then, you know, defensively, uh, you know, can this team sort of rebound from, uh, there were times where tennis, uh, Texas A&M sort of performed to the, to the talent level that you knew yeah. it had, but then there were too many stretches where they were massively underachieving. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, now bringing Bobby Petrino in has created a lot of, uh, interesting scenarios and a lot of people have been laughing about it, but look, it worked during the spring. Uh, and frankly, uh, uh, Connor Wiegman and Max Johnson, who Travis and I both love, uh, had good springs. They've got one of the better uh, wide receiver rooms anywhere with Evan Stewart among that group, Moose Muhammad also. Uh, so uh, then I think the offensive line will be fine. To me, the big thing for them is going to be uh, – 
the the maturation uh, of that uh, that offensive and defensive lines. Uh, I think if, if they can do that, uh, that 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 will continue and they'll be okay. Had a massive amount of guys uh, who 25 players in the portal uh, with this, but um, this and only had three players drafted, which I thought were interesting. But boy, they were important. The ones who did, A-Chain, Antonio Johnson, and Jalen Jones, uh, who went too, uh, but Anaya Smith coming back, I think is huge. But again, to me, this thing goes back. It's two things. Will their, will their defense continue to improve uh, in the front seven? And what will the offense, uh, they said, have a lot more movement and a lot more uh, uh, reverses had a lot more eye candy than they had before, and and they were a lot more effective uh, because J- Jimbo can. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to fire him uh, immediately, but uh, Jimbo doesn't need another seven and five or eight and four. No, he does not. And so we wrap things up with a look at the Vanderbilt Commodores. Hear me out, Brent Beard. Making the case for a 6-0 and start yeah. for the Vanderbilt Commodores in 2023. Open with Hawaii in Nashville in week zero, August the 26th. You get Hawaii in Nashville. Then you go Alabama A&M. Road game at Wake Forest that will be without Sam Hartman That's right. in that yes. game. Come back home, take on UNLV with Barry Odom now in charge of the running Rebels, or maybe it's going to be the throwing Rebels. We'll see. Kentucky at home on September the 23rd, and then Missouri in Nashville on September the 30th. Can this team enter the month of October unbeaten? And hell, even in October, you get Florida on the road. Who knows what Florida's going to look like on October the 7th, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So you're so you're talking about even in that starting six on the schedule. I mean, Trevor, they're four and two. Uh, that that gotta be. I mean, yeah. just just based on the home games. Uh, UNLV is actually on the road. My bad. Uh, it, it's a road game, I believe. Um, but Hawaii at home, Alabama A and M at home, Kentucky at home, Missouri at home. Yeah, yeah, and those are. Those are winnable games. I've got to replace Ray Davis at tailback, but they've got Cedric Alexander and Chase Gillespie, who they like. Travis and I both like A.J. Swan. He's pretty solid for them. So, look, the reality is uh, I'm not saying they'd build a statue for him, but if they had two really solid years in a row, I think that would show some, some significant progress for Vanderbilt. I don't think there's any doubt about that. My biggest concern now officially is that I'm talking six and O for Vanderbilt potentially. You know, that's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the mush uh, potential, unfortunately for the Commodores. And, uh, but you look at the schedule again, uh, Florida, who knows? Yeah. Georgia is a loss in mid October. Uh, Ole Miss on the road in late October, who knows what that team will look like. A lot of, uncertainty about Auburn in year one in early November under Hugh Freeze. South Carolina uh, is a place a couple of seasons ago where Vanderbilt should have won 
I kind of gave that game away late in the final seconds at Williams Price. And then, you know, you figure Tennessee at home is going to be tough, but boy, yeah, potential for a bowl game for Clark Lee wow. in year three wow. at Vanderbilt. There you go, Brent. Anything else before we get out of here? We we will get into this later, but uh, the uh, we've got some dates now for the um, for the playoff games being expanded in 24 uh, and 25, which is certainly exciting to see where that that's going. Uh, but again, uh, and Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, said uh, it's time to vote. So look for uh, do does. Does the SEC go to eight or nine uh, conference games? That, that's going to be a a big deal going on. So a lot of important decisions uh, to be made in the SEC over the uh, the next few weeks. And Travis, we go out here. Listers want to know the last time we were together. Pops and Nana a bit under the weather. Yeah. Uh, are we? Uh, is he better and acting appropriately now? Yeah, you know, Pops tested positive for COVID twice, but never really had any symptoms. So even COVID didn't want anything to do with Pops, <laughs> apparently. And poor Nana, she was bronchial, you know, had the whole thing going. She was okay, not not terribly sick, but <laughs> certainly symptomatic. But Pops, he was pretty much symptom-free and took him to a college baseball game a couple nights ago. So he was happy to be out of isolation and sort of back in the, back in the mix. And uh, yeah, everybody's good. Everybody's good. I'm, I'm glad to report Brent. I'm glad to report. So with that, as always, Brent Beard, a wealth of insight. I hope you enjoyed the program and Brent look forward to doing it again real soon. Me too, bud. Always enjoy it. Take care. For Brent Beard, Travis Schreier, thanking you for joining us right here on Second Helping. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, we certainly hope you will consider doing so. Wherever you consume podcasts, you're going to find Second Helping. If you leave us a rating and a review, that would help us out tremendously as well. For Brent Beard, Travis Schreier, thanks again. Until next time, so long, everybody.